Well, good evening, everyone. I've been looking forward to tonight because uh, it's been advertised as a gospel message. And sometimes we wonder, well, what does that really mean? Well, the word gospel, it simply means this, good news. And I like sharing good news. And I do have some good news to share with you this evening. But when I start out tonight, you might think to yourself, that does not sound like good news to me. Because what I want to do is put the good news in its proper context. So before I give you the good news, I want to give you the bad news. So if you bear with me while we talk about the bad news, and then eventually we'll get to the good news. Now I want to read, if you have Bibles with you, I'd like you to follow with me. It's not too long, just three verses in the book of James in the New Testament. James chapter 1. And just three simple verses, but I do believe that in these three simple verses, there is a profound message for every one of us this evening. So it goes like this, James chapter 1 verse 15 says this, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth sin death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. As we look at these verses, I want to begin just by uh, the simple statement that we read, sin when it is finished just want to start right there. Sin when it's finished. It's interesting, when we think about sin, we never really think about sin when it's finished. We always think about sin at the beginning. And sin at the beginning always is appealing and attractive. If sin wasn't appealing and attractive, it wouldn't have any hold on us. But it is appealing. In fact, even the Bible admits that there's pleasure in sin. Pleasures of sin for a season. It says that. So we can't deny it, right? It it is pleasurable. And so we always think about sin at the beginning. But what we don't do is fast forward and think about it at the end. Sin when it's finished. And what James wants us to do is to do that. To fast forward and think about the end result of sin. What are the consequences of sin? What's it going to look like at the end? And so what he says is, sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You say, well, that's a morbid subject. But sometimes it's good to be faced with the reality of things. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. I'd like to take you back to the very beginning of history, to a place called Eden. There was a garden there. It was very beautiful. There was a man and a woman that God had created there. And you might say to yourself, do you really believe in Adam and Eve? Well, Jesus did, and the Apostle Paul did. So I could say to you unashamedly, I do too. In fact, if you don't believe in Adam and Eve, you might as well throw your New Testament away because it refers to them quite frequently. 
So I really believe that there were these people called Adam and Eve that lived in a garden. And it was a perfect garden and they had perfect freedom to enjoy the abundant supply of fruit in the garden and to eat from the trees. But there was one tree in the midst of the garden and God said to them, do not eat from it. In fact, he said, the day that you do that, you will surely die. And along came this snake, serpent. And we know that behind the snake was none other than a person called the devil. You say, you believe in the devil? Yes, I do. Jesus believed in the devil. The apostle Paul believed it. I believe in the devil. Okay, so here's this devil and he says, the fruit looks good to eat. Did it look good to eat? Now, for me, it probably wouldn't have done unless it was wrapped in a pie. But nevertheless, I'm sure it did look good to eat. And not only that, he says that if you eat it, you're going to be really wise. And you're actually going to become like God. So sin at the beginning looks really attractive, doesn't it? And so they took it and they ate it. By the way, we're talking, we're using this word sin. A simple definition is this. Sin is doing something God told, told us not to do. <laughs> that was the first sin, right? God said, don't eat it. And they said, we're going to eat it. That's what sin is. When we do something that we know clearly God has told us we shouldn't be doing, then we're sin. So they did eat it. Now, the interesting thing is, God said, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But they didn't keel over and drop dead the minute that they bit into the fruit, did they? Which tells us death is more than just something physical. Now, I will tell you this, something really happened to them that day. In fact, everything changed for them. Prior to that, they were quite innocent. They were naked and they looked at each other and they didn't have lewd thoughts or bad thoughts about it at all. They, they didn't even think about it. Now they eat the fruit, all of a sudden they look at each other very differently. They knew that they were naked and they were ashamed. Something happened to their relationship with God. Before, it tells us, they used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Now they're hiding from God. They don't want to be found by Him. And so what we're saying is that ultimately, sin brought radical changes to them as people. It changed their relationship with each other. It changed their relationship with God. And ultimately, it resulted from them being banished from the garden and eventually they physically died because when we get to Genesis chapter 5, it talks about this is the genealogy of the Adam family. And you know what it says about each person in the Adam family? And he died. And he died. In fact, let me tell you something. I don't want to be morbid tonight, but I want to just be honest. Death is the ultimate statistic. One in one dies somebody in this auditorium will be the next one to go and it's not based on age by the way because i've been at funerals of babies i've been at funerals of people in their toddlers in their their teens in their 20s and i've been at lots of funerals <laughs> and death is no respecter of age sin when it's finished brings forth death. Let's think for a minute about death. What does it really mean? Death means separation in the Bible. 
The first aspect of death is separation from God. They had an intimate relationship with God. When they sinned, it broke that relationship. They're hiding from Him. They don't want anything to do with Him. They're scared of Him. Before, they enjoyed an intimate relationship with God. So sin affected their relationship with God first of all. It caused a separation, a gulf between them and God. Secondly, death physically means the separation of your body from the real you, your soul and spirit. I remember the first funeral I ever did. It was a little girl. And I went to the hospital where this girl had passed away and I actually held this girl in my arms, talking to the mother, pointing out the beautiful features of this girl. But you know, as perfect as she was, it was an empty shell. The real person had gone. And when you die, your body will be separated from your soul and spirit. The final part of death, if you die without receiving Christ as your personal Savior, is that you will be forever separated from God in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. And to be separated from God is a bad thing. Because it means that you'll be separated from anything that's good, that's right, that's hopeful. That's, it, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible thing to be eternally separated from the source of all goodness. You know, people talk to me about this. They say, I want to go where my friends are. We're going to party in hell. No, you're not. <laughs> it's not going to be like that. And so I I just want to say that death is a very serious thing. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Now, I want to illustrate it again, just so we see that this principle always works. Let's fast forward now in history to a king called David. It was time that kings should have gone to war, but he decided he'd stay home. He wanted a suntan, so he sat on his roof on the deck chair and got a suntan, and he looked across, and on another roof close by, there was a woman taking a bath. She was a very beautiful woman. And of course, he's the king, so he called for her. I mean, who's going to refuse when the king says, come round? Trouble is, she was a married woman. And David took this woman and laid with her and had sexual relationships with her. And the interesting thing is that, did sin look attractive? I'm sure Bathsheba was a very beautiful woman. Sin at the beginning was very attractive. But what happened in the story? If you know anything about your Bibles, you'll know that there was a lot of incidences of death as a consequence of this. See, David, always when you sin, you try and cover up your tracks. The problem is that she got pregnant. It's kind of hard to cover up your tracks, especially as the nine months move on. It's kind of pretty hard to cover it up, right? It's popping out all over, right? So what are we going to do here? Well, uh, where's Uriah, her husband? He's out at war. Well, we'll bring him back. Come on back here. You know, we, <laughs> and why don't you go see your wife? Well, he said, why, why would I go see my wife when all my comrades are out in the battle? I, I can't do that. And so he says, okay, I'll try plan B. Let's get him drunk. Then he'll go see his wife. But he didn't go. So David says, okay, he told his, his captain, when you go in the battle, make sure that you get Uriah to go close to the wall, then pull back and let him get killed. Sin, when it's finished brings forth death. 
Uriah the Hittite dies. The baby that Bathsheba carried died. His sons lost all respect for him, and they kind of followed their father in their kind of uh, uh, sensual ways. And, and, and Ammon dies, and, and, and uh, it just keeps on down the road, isn't it? There's death, 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 death. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. It's a principle. It always happens. He said, I thought you were going to tell us good news. I am going to tell you good news. Just be patient. I want to just kind of lay a foundation. The background, sin when it's finished brings forth death. I I want you to go away from here today ringing in your ears this simple statement, sin when it's finished brings forth death. The Bible says through one man sin came into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men so that all have sinned. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Well, you might ask David, by the way, was it worth it, David? That's a great question, isn't it? You ask somebody whose life has been wrecked by sin, was it worth it? You know, I mean, initially, it seems really wonderful. I meet people all the time, their, their, their families are torn apart, uh, there's devastation everywhere. And, and you say, was it really worth it giving in to this lust or whatever? Sin when it's finished brings forth death. Is it really worth it? Don't look at sin at the beginning, folks. Fast forward, see the conclusion. It'll make you think twice before you sin. But here's the problem. Sin when it's finished brings forth death. So where's the good news? Well, before we look at the good news, one more verse. Verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. You're already saying, get this right. (laughs) Let this sink into your thick skulls. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. You make sure you get it right. But then he says, now let me tell you something else you need to get right. Get this right. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness and neither shadow of turning what does god do in the midst of a scene of sin and death the amazing thing is that god still looked after adam and eve even after they'd sinned he clothed them he still cared for them didn't he Uh, today in this park God's goodness is shown to the unsaved as well as the saved, isn't it? The Bible says that his reign falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. The unsaved people who do not know Christ, who have rejected God, who may even hate God, can still look at his handiwork and he doesn't stop them, right? He still feeds them, closes them. Gives them breath. Isn't it amazing? When these people were cursing the Lord Jesus and spitting in his face, he was actually allowing them to form the spittle that they would use. Isn't that amazing? He gave them the breath they breathed. He gave them the ability to speak language to curse him. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. And you see, the amazing thing is, get this right, brethren, because I'll tell you, people have got a wrong view of God. They think he's the bad guy up there with a big stick just waiting to pounce, don't they? You know, the bad man upstairs, you ever thought that about him? I used to think that. But actually, he's very good, and he's very giving. In fact, let me say this. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. 
Let me tell you the best gift that ever came down. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift to give to a world that has rebelled against him. I am going to send the best thing that I can think of, and that is my son who I love. I'm going to send him into this world. What a gift. So God gave this gift. Now let's just think about that and the implications of it for a moment. You see, into this scene of sin and death is born one who is sinless and who is life. You get the contrast. All around, there's sin and death, and all of a sudden, somebody is born into the world, and he is entirely without sin. He is sin, not just sinless, he's positively holy. In fact, the Bible says he knew no sin. He did no sin. And no guile was found in his mouth. He never deceived anybody. He was a perfect person, absolutely sinless. And not only was he perfect and sinless, he was also life. In him was life, the Bible says, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. In the midst of death, here comes one who is sinless and who is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly, right? He, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's one that's in the midst of the scene of sin and death. There's one that is sinless and is life. Marvelous. And in fact, wherever he went, he brought life out of death. There's a, there's a, a, a widow's son. The only son of a widow in a, in a little town called Nain. And they're, they're carrying the funeral bier. And the Lord Jesus comes along and he touches the body and the son comes back to life and he gives the son back to his mother. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of death, life. There's a little girl, 12 years of age. She's got a fever. Her, her father comes. Uh, he's a ruler of a synagogue. Can you come, please? My daughter has a fever. She's dying. And so the Lord Jesus sets off on this journey. And, and then one of the servants comes and says, don't bother anymore the master because she's already dead. The Lord says, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. They thought, they just laughed. And he went into this girl and he says, little maid, arise. And in the midst of death, he brings life. And here's a man who's been dead four days and already corruption has set in and he's starting to stink. In the heat of the Middle East, the body is beginning to disintegrate. And this one who was sinless and who was life says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out of the grave. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of a depressing scene of sin and death, here comes life. But the amazing thing is that what people did to the prince of life is it says they killed the prince of life. Isn't that amazing? They killed the prince of life. They took him and they nailed him to a tree. 
In the Bible, their Bible said, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. They took the prince of life and they killed him. But actually, there's a lot more to the story than that. Because we already said, you know, sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. But we said he's sinless. So how could he die? He's sinless. You see, sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. He didn't have any sin. It's established. Everybody agreed to that. Even his enemies had to agree. Pontius Pilate, I can find no fault in him. Judas Iscariot, I have betrayed innocent blood. Everybody was in agreement. There's nothing they could find in him. They couldn't find fault with him. He even said to him one day, which of you convinces me of sin? And by these guys were dying to find something. And he says, come on, I'm just giving you open pot shots. <laughs> which one of you convinced me of sin? And they walked away in silence. So how could he possibly die if sin, when it's finished, brings forth death and he had no sin? Because something happened that day which was rather remarkable. What God did was he took your sin and my sin and put it on him. This lovely hymn, all my sins were laid upon him. Jesus bore them on the tree. God who knew them laid them on him. And believing thou art free. The Bible says he that knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so this sinless one bore our sin. And as a result of that, God punished him as if he was the sinner and he died and he was buried the prince of life was laid in a tomb and by the way our sin was in that <laughs> laid there upon him you know the amazing thing after three days just as he promised <clears throat> the prince of life came back to life again and the disciples they recognized it. they said he is risen he is risen indeed. And that meant that God had accepted the payment that the Lord Jesus made for our sin. He rose him victorious from the grave. The tomb is empty. I mean, they went to great lengths. They'd know that he had said that he would come back from the dead. Uh, it wasn't an open, you know, it was an open thing. It wasn't a secret. He was telling everybody, you kill, destroy this body three days, I'm going to rise it up. And, and, and they said, we, this, this deceiver said this, so we better, we better lock him in good. So they put a big stone over the, the entrance to the tomb and, and they put a Roman guard, cracked troops to guard the way to make sure, but they couldn't keep him in because the prince of life came back from the dead so what's all that got to do with you and I it's got a lot to do with you and I it really does because today I'm playing before you a choice you can choose death or choose life it's that simple death or life because there are some of you here and I know you're here and you're already spiritually dead you don't have a relationship with God. You've been listening to us all week. We're talking about this person that's so meaningful, so real to us. And you're thinking, what are these people talking about? I have no idea. You're dead. You, you, spiritually, you're dead. Not only are you dead, you're dying. Physically, 
you're dying. Your body's wearing out. It's falling apart at the seams. If you're like me and you're over the 5-0, it's, it's kind of almost all over. I mean, you're just really falling apart at the seams. And you are dying. And you're not going to escape. One and one dies. It's going to be you one day. And so you're already spiritually dead. You're physically dying. And unless you accept life in the person of Christ, you will be forever separated from God who gives every good and perfect gift. But there won't be any gifts, good, perfect, or otherwise, in hell. Because you're going to be separated from the source of all that is good. And so you're going to be there forever and ever. Now let's just think about this. I want you to get this straight. A hundred years from now, if you die without Christ, you'll still be in hell. A thousand years from now, if you die without Christ, you'll still be in hell. A million years from now, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, you'll still be in hell. And you know what? Joe said it this morning. I want to say it again. One of the things that will be active in hell is your memory. You'll still remember. You know what you're going to remember? You're going to remember this message. You're going to remember that an opportunity was presented to you tonight to choose life in the person of Christ. And you're going to live with that eaten away at you. I didn't have to be here. I didn't have to be in this place of torment. I could have been in a place at His right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. I could have been there. But where am I? I'm here because of my stubborn, rotten pride. I'm here and I'll be here forever. Without end and without hope. Please, I don't want you to go there. I don't want anybody to go there. And, and you don't have to go there. A provision has been made to deal with your sin. A Savior has been provided. The very God of heaven has sent His Son to be your Savior. But you must receive Him as your Savior. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he'll live. You see, but you must believe. We said all my sins were laid upon him. Jesus bore them on the tree. God who knew them placed them on him. And believing, thou art free. What will you do with the person of Christ tonight? I'm setting before you a choice. Life, death. What are you going to choose? Can I say something? Choose life. Choose Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm the sinner you died to save. Save me tonight. I want to be sure that I'm saved. I don't want to end up in the lake of fire. I want to accept life in the person of Christ. Oh, I, I don't know what else I can say. I, I, I'd stay here all night if I could persuade you to trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. I want to tell you something. It's not just pie in the sky when you die. You see, when you trust Christ, you get eternal life now. I can tell you, I have eternal life. Right now. That's what you're going to get tonight. If you trust Christ, you'll get eternal life tonight. You'll be brought back into relationship with that God that you've been hiding from and scared of. Maybe some of you are scared of. It's going to bring changes to your life, but I'll tell you, the changes are good. They're good changes. Jesus is better than anything you'd ever leave behind. He really is. I, I don't know what else to say. I just want you to trust Christ, to choose life. Why will you die? 
when you can live in Christ. Please, please don't leave here without choosing life. You want to pray? You want to pray along with me? You can. But if you want to talk after whatever, let's just let's get this dealt with tonight. Uh, Father, we ask if there's one here tonight, and we know there are people here tonight that are dead spiritually, that are dying physically, and that unless they choose life in the person of Christ, will forever be separated from you. I pray, Father, that that individual, those individuals will not leave this place until they know that their destiny is sealed and that they have as a present possession, eternal life in Christ. Father, we're thankful that you're, you give us every good and perfect gift. We thank you for the best gift, your Son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, would there be one here tonight that would say, Lord, I believe that you're my Savior. I, I, I trust you tonight. I embrace life. We'll give you the glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.